0: how to evolve that, how to test into what's next with what you're developing on the product side, what you're developing on the content side, who you're working with next on influencers. AI is really solving that question for us in a lot of ways.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Impulse, the Influencer Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Prateek Panda, VP of Marketing at Philo, the universal API for creator data. Joining us today is Rita Zahir, the Senior VP of Marketing and E-Commerce at a range of different companies. She's currently working with a whole host of brands, including the jewelry brand Highlight Rituals, luxury retail brand David Gallen, and the marketing agency Let's Get Disruptive. Operating at the intersection of math and the magic of marketing, Rita has led several brands to success by using a data-driven approach. So today, as we talk to Rita, we're going to know a lot of different secrets to successful customer targeting and acquisition, especially using AI. But before we get into the conversation today, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your preferred podcast platform. All right, Rita, thank you so much for joining us.
0: My pleasure.
1: All right, Rita, let's uh, start right off. And uh, here's a question that I ask almost all of my guests. I want you to give me your most controversial hot take on influencer marketing, something that maybe you believe in, may not be, you know, popularly accepted. Uh, What do you think?
0: Well, I feel like that there's a big opening for a lot more specific strategies, data-driven stuff, that combination of science and the creative piece. I don't know if that's a hot take, but I always get a lot of pushback because people are like, oh no, it's this wild west and it should be creative and free-flowing. And I think a piece of that is definitely true. But to unlock its full potential, um, this idea of being able to measure more efficiently, target and track and, and really incorporate more of direct response marketing, you know, those later stages in marketing and understanding the full impact of influencer in that way will unlock so much growth in this channel if, <laughs> if people don't get scared by the idea of, you know, introducing that kind of, those kinds of tools and more rigorous strategy.
1: Got it. And, uh, you know, we've been talking about this topic with a lot of different brands and agencies as well. I am starting to see a sign where more people are keen to be more ROI driven. For a long time, influencer marketing was a channel that uh, was more for branding and visibility. And now it's uh, also starting to be about conversions and tracking and ROI. Now, I can see this making sense from the brand side. Are you seeing this trend happen on the influencer side as well?
0: Yeah. I mean, so I've been lucky to be able to work in all aspects of digital, including influencer for a long time. And I think you see those evolutions happening. And when you work with creatives now, there is a lot more receptiveness to the idea of being able to understand the full value, whether that's at the brand level, the engagement, the reach, spreading the word of the brand, which also has KPIs, or that is further down the funnel in the performance piece, direct response, that kind of like return on ad spend as opposed to just eternal, you know, return. So I think people are starting to understand the more they can prove their value, the more they can continue to Build their brand as an influencer, and the more money they can make, and the more types of deals they can do, and the more evolutions that they can create in their own personal brand. So, when you see that really happening, there was just a ton of pushback on it <laughs> a couple years ago when you would say, Well, you know, we want to show the value, we want to show the the effect, how it's increasing our engagement rates, how it's increasing our brand voice value and a brand awareness. And, and those really more traditional brand marketing KPIs are being introduced and really accepted, I think, by the influencer community. It just took time.
1: Makes sense. All right. I feel like you have a fairly busy life. You're at a busy uh, agency. You're also helping a variety of different e-commerce brands get engagement and traction. Uh, What does a typical day in the life look like for Rita and uh, how do you manage all of this?
0: Every day is different. It feels like, especially during holiday, it's pretty crazy, but I do spend a majority of my time with a couple um, brands and Highlight, which is really early stage, just launched, you know, on online in August of this last year is kind of been the more recent focus because it's such a, a cool growth stage company and it's got such an interesting authentic voice and things like that so it's just like every other marketing job where you're doing a ton of of uh, meetings and brainstormings and then and then moving that down what's next okay all the action items that come out of that and building strategy and continuing to press a vision at the same time that you're you're doing you know implementing things right so like They always say building a plane and flying it at the same time. And that's what it feels like working at a startup.
1: (laughs) All right. I can totally, you know, relate to that. Having done three startups in the past, you're always literally Building the plane while you're trying to fly it as well.
0: You're like the the wing fell off. <laughs> what do we have on the plane <laughs>
1: that can remotely do something that a wing does? All right, awesome. Um, see, you've you've described a little bit. Um, uh, you know, your your definition of marketing has been a, a sort of intersection of math and magic, right? And tell us a little bit more about that, right? It's very interesting. Of course, you know, there's a creative angle to marketing, but what do you mean by that?
0: I started out in a very like creative side of marketing, uh, content development and and writing. And that's kind of my background and, and focus, right, when I first started. And then as I moved through marketing, I realized there was this like what felt like inherent fiction between the creatives and the people who were like, this has to be a data driven strategy, et cetera. And I realized pretty quickly that the real magic really lies at that intersection between the geek inside me who is like, I love the idea of predictive behavioral models and first party data and third party data and creating actionable insights. And the person who is, you know, writing poetry in your free time and really focused on who is that customer intuitively and connecting with them on a creative level. And when those things come together to create strategy, to build vision, that's the magic. You know, that's the true magic and I think a a point of excellence that differentiates some brands when they can really have those two working together.
1: Got it. Makes sense. And, you know, let's bring this concept of AI to this, right? Uh, I can't see a single product website these days on the B2B side, at least, that doesn't use the word AI. So it's, it's also starting to get frustrating to the point that is it really AI or not, right? But uh, let's talk about the use of AI in marketing, right? And especially in this intersection of math and magic, what do you think uh, is the role of AI?
0: So I'm a geek. I think I mentioned that. And you'll see me at tech conferences, walking the the expo floor, even as a head of marketing when usually you're not doing that. But I'm interested in that kind of evolution, particularly in digital marketing, where I think the only way to survive and keep up is to be really curious about the evolution of marketing in general. And to be honest, machine learning, AI, all of these things have been embedded in the best marketing tools for at least a decade. You know, Google had iterative AI tools embedded in their in their platform forever. So I think that's one piece. Like what you were saying is sometimes people are overusing AI and sometimes people didn't know that they were already using all these really cool uh, machine learning and AI tools, all these years. So I think there's that piece. For me, in particular, where I see a really interesting aspect of AI is as um, improving the tools that we have to understand who the customer is, what makes them take, build those models to say, not just these people are our customers, but these are our best customers. And this is why. This is where what they want from us intersects with who we are as a brand and why. And really getting to what is the most optimized experience in terms of, you know, AI is delivering very personalized experiences now, but also by like incorporating constant learning at a speed that we couldn't do it ourselves. So I love testing. I'm a huge like fan of like, let's build out a test and test this and test that. But there's a lot of times when you're moving so fast and you want to test so many different things that it's hard to pull out actionable insights to really understand the true um, results, right? And so uh, I was using AI recently at a company, actually just started using them again, another partner that's doing the similar thing. One thing they were doing for us is that that uh, machine learning aspect, right? So just ingesting all of our performance data for the years we've been on Facebook and saying, as you start to create more video and partnerships with influencers and that kind of content, what is resonating, not just across the board, like in your Instagram, but with your actual target customers. And that's everything from things that are imperceivable to most people, like the color filter on the video, Right, if it is a pink filter or a blue filter, I can't tell the difference, but the AI can, and over time tells you for this customer segment they prefer a lighter filter and crazy things that I wouldn't have thought to even test. you know, evolves. But it also evolves at what point the text should appear in the the video with the influencer, right? More of the language that they use, what's resonating with the customer that you're targeting, what benefits or values of your product are the things that you should focus on when you're talking about this customer or that customer. And then, You know, how to evolve that, how to test into what's next with what you're developing on the product side, what you're developing on the content side, who you're working with next on influencers. AI is really solving that question for us um, in a lot of ways, a lot faster than we could have.
1: Yeah, one interesting thing that you mentioned is, of course, you know, if you have a lot of data, you can use ML models and use AI tools to help you make better decisions or find insights more easily today than it was before. What if you are a new direct-to-consumer e-commerce brand? You've never done this before. How do you use AI to your benefit?
0: So one piece is some of the partners we use to work with a ton of brands, right? So um, they can start with category information about how people perform in the jewelry category, right? If you only have a few. The other piece is that uh, some partners we work with, there's one in particular that layers on third-party data to what you have. So it helps build out the amount and the volume of data that you have that makes over time, your models more predictive. But I think just giving you kind of like a starting place, where to start with, and I particularly, <laughs> this is really pertinent to me because right now I am working with two brands that are literally just launching their direct-to-consumer like business. Um, and so don't have the, the mass volume of customer data, but we're getting a lot of great templates of where to start, what kind of data is even um, usually useful and like where to collect and and things like that and how to build out testing and and all of that stuff. The other thing is once the, the the AI understands who in general you're starting with as your customer target, it will often be able to use available data on the internet. Like, you know, you could feed it all your competitor sites, um, all of their social handles and it will evaluate you know what posts are getting engagement and it will <laughs> it will propose why you know after a certain volume of that like oh it's because it was using this language or the text was at the bottom as versus the top or the text came at the very end of the video or the beginning of the video like all of those kinds of things it can learn it can start learning from other data right other players
1: Great. I think that's uh, spot on. And, you know, you mentioned a little bit about uh, the customer targeting as well. And um, what was the challenge with all the traditional methods? And if you're a new brand, you're a new direct-to-consumer brand, What's new about customer targeting strategies that you need to take care of?
0: Yeah, I think there's um, over the last maybe year and a half, right? There's been so many changes in terms of all of the platforms, their policies, in terms of privacy and data collection, um, the tools that they're making available to you post iOS 14 or (laughs) whatever, changes of what targeting you have available, Right. So it used to be really easy on a lot of the paid social platforms to target customers and it's gotten a lot harder and it's gotten a lot harder for tracking and retargeting, which was, you know, just a cash cow for a lot of brands. So what we did is we also worked with a partner that I've mentioned that took our customer data. And we also, I've worked with a lot of brands who have focused a lot on zero-party data. So zero-party is um, from surveys, quizzes, things that the customers have given you willingly. First party is from when they make a purchase, right? they give you their address and those kinds of data. And then third party, which could be from like credit cards and, and things that exist outside in the world. And built more predictive models for who the best customers are right? And it might be a lot of brands, especially early in their development, don't really know who their customer is. They've projected who they think it is or they want it to be, and they have some very soft customer profiles, archetypes. But I think the more tools you can use or the more information you have to build that out and build a real predictive model that understands your highest LTV customer. And then you could start to do like weighted CPAs, right? You could say, we will spend more to acquire this customer than that customer because their LTV is so high. Or you can start to do those really complex things later in your life cycle, right? <laughs> but to start with really layering on as much data as possible. So for example, in meta, you're uploading actionable seeds that perform really well. And so those, those seeds where we layered on the third-party data and we used the AI to create those predictive models, they performed so much better than anything we had done on Facebook, even prior to the changes. Even for last-click attribution, we were seeing 50% uh, increases in conversion rate. So like really targeting using data and a predictive model makes such a difference.
1: Absolutely. And, uh, you know, uh, as fellow, we've been working with, you know, millions in, of, of data sets, right? We I couldn't have said it any better, right? Data is, uh, you know, the way you're going to make the best decisions. And I think in marketing, uh, that has generally been the trend, especially with paid marketing, but needs to be the trend with everything else. Also, a data driven approach will always get you to a better place. You talked a little bit about zero party data, right? I want to touch a little bit more on that. What's the magic zero-party data and how do you make sure that you get the right kind of zero-party data because you mentioned one example being surveys how do you make sure you're talking to a good enough representative set of your audience that your zero-party data is trustworthy
0: yeah um, and i think that's a test and learn for every brand because i think it's slightly different for every customer segment I like zero party data that's collected in a value exchange way. So people feel like, you know, they're not just giving you data for no reason. I've always thought that quizzes, which are entertaining and kind of provide that engagement piece are a much better way uh, than surveys. And for brands that I've worked with, I've always seen a much higher response rate to those kinds of things. And then the other piece of it is, okay, once you're starting to collect all this data and and a lot of brands are doing really cool quizzes now and collecting all this data and then not integrating it to Anything. <laughs> like it's just it's somewhere. It's it's not connected. Like, oh, they're they're so young, they don't have a customer data platform yet, right? So like we're too young to have a CDP, but you have an ESP, right? Your email service provider, Clavia or whoever you're using, usually has really um, robust customer profiles that you could build out and start to test against those, right? So what's meaningful in the differences between the customers? And so Again, we've run models based on the um, on the feedback we've gotten from the quizzes to understand, again, who is that highest LTV customer and what do their purchases as compared to what they're saying on the quiz, like those kinds of comparisons or looking for those types of actionable insights. And then really talking with your partners to understand what things you should be collecting that maybe you're not thinking of. Like we didn't understand how helpful a zip code is in really identifying and uh, matching match rates, right? So we started asking for a zip code and now all you really need is an email and a zip code and you can really understand a lot more, you, much higher match rates, right? So working with partners, I think is, is something because let's say you're at a jewelry company, that's what you do, you sell jewelry, right? You understand that business, that customer segment, vending, thing, but the vendors that you're working with, making them partners because they're working with four, 500 other e-commerce brands, like that's their bread and butter is understanding the evolution there. That's actually the advice I always give to people is to one, try and find vendors who are also in a high growth stage. If you're in a high growth stage, sort of match that because they're going to be more curious. They're going to be more eager to work with you and solve problems, right? Because they're still in that development phase and growth phase of their organization. So really building those relationships is a differentiating factor that I think is, is key to success. And when you're smaller and you're scrappy and you need favors and you need um, support and resources, I think that really makes a difference
1: that makes sense we we talked a little bit about uh, the ever changing landscape and uh, regulations or uh, you know privacy rules and so on not just with device manufacturers but also social platforms and with that you know marketing strategies also have continued to evolve i've seen that over the past decade of me running paid social ads, the cost of acquisition has only continued to go up. Um, With that, you know, your strategies also have to change a little bit and how much you budget out for each of these channels, right? Now, how can marketers continue to stay on top of this and effectively still target and acquire the right kind of customers?
0: Yeah. I think I was touching a little bit on this earlier in terms of leaning less on the platforms. Well, social platforms that are becoming a lot more difficult to use in that sense, and leaning more on uh, partners and vendors tools that help you build those kinds of models to build targets, to build really efficient um, and evolving targets. So for me, that's one piece. Um, We've used uh, a company called Genius AI to do a lot of that, whether it is ingesting all of our first and zero-party data, or also layering on tons of third-party data that's super valuable to create efficient and predictive models, as opposed to maybe some models that you feel like make sense or interest-based or a lot of broad targeting that the Facebook guys are always loving to tell you, right? So I think that's one thing. The other thing is, particularly when it comes to the idea that paid social continues to get more and more expensive as it gets more successful, right? Like it used to be that you could print money on Facebook and (laughs) like all those things, but it became more competitive. And now that's happening with TikTok, right? And all of those things. So as it becomes more effective and and, um, successful, more people. So the idea of continuously researching, experimenting and testing into new channels, is paramount in in my mind. Continuously, like looking for the more I understand about my own customer, the more I can try and test into new channels, right? Whether that's on the social side, seeing you know where they're moving towards, or even if it's a new types of display, offline uh, channels, uh, direct mail, whatever it is, really looking again for partners that are able to leverage that data on their side. So. Uh, not just a targeting of uh, lookalike customers or, or or something like that, but being able to build more efficient targeting models. You know, you see a lot of this evolution happening in Google Display and Critio and all of these guys that are incorporating a lot more data modeling as well, third-party data into their targeting tools.
1: All right, that makes sense. You mentioned a little bit about, you know, there was a time when you could print money on Facebook, now it's TikTok. In your experience, is there a way to get a fairly accurate prediction of what's going to be the next TikTok, right? Because as marketers, um, you know, you want to be early onto a platform where you can make money at uh, a better you know roi of course and till that platform becomes so crowded that then it becomes more competitive right uh, is there a way to sort of sense these patterns
0: I'm not great at that. I just do this like (laughs) mass targeting. I will try any new app myself on a personal level um, and working with a bunch of brands really gives you the ability to do that. That's one thing. The other thing is, um, like I was mentioning before, it really is more focused on your customer. I've seen brands where like we want our customer to be the TikTok customer, but their customer is not the TikTok customer. So really understanding the evolution of your customer and their interests and where they are, I think is one thing. And then the other thing is there are some areas where some context, like having worked right in the in the field for so long, does a little bit guide you to knowing maybe what's what's more likely to work. So I've said for like this last year, I'm super bullish on YouTube shorts because I've worked with Google for decades and I've seen them understand the needs of the marketer and evolve to meet that really quickly and be aggressive in that space. So if I'm going to guess on someone who has the resources and the ability to become a good advertising platform or tool, I'm going to you know, I'm going to guess Google. So that's why I'm going to be a little bit more bullish there than I would be with any other platform that was coming up and trying to take on TikTok, but I've been wrong. <laughs> right?
1: we have all been wrong uh, multiple times in this journey
0: i really thought clubhouse was it like i there was a couple of apps <laughs> discord and all these guys i really
1: thought and and i used to think snapchat could never be a thing right and yet it was right uh, so um you know we, we we became we are all wrong at uh, some point or the other and uh, i i think you know that's why one of the things that you mentioned right which is Try out everything. First of all, of course, know where your customer is. Uh, That's the first step. But try out the different platforms because you might have some preconceived notions about it which may or may not be true, right? And the only way to validate that is use some small experiments, make sure that, okay, everybody's saying TikTok is great. And we did that also, right? Like everybody was like, okay, TikTok's great. And we started seeing some of our customers on TikTok as well, uh, but it just made us realize that, okay, let's run a few experiments and see if it's going to work. We figured whether you, you test the better the platform's going to work for you or not. And that settles the story right there without speculation.
0: Test and learn and definitely prioritize based on your customer.
1: So I had a fun question for you. If you had the chance to take an influencer out to lunch, who would that person be and why?
0: So over time, I feel like that keeps changing, right? But right now, like I really think Kabe Lame, I think he's super funny, like his facial expressions and all that. Although, you know, it might be a very quiet lunch. (laughs) So he doesn't talk much. So I would maybe lean more towards um, Mr. Beast one so I could show off to my son, who is a big fan. And I think the diversity of channels that he's been able to do is really interesting but also how he's evolved his business and is now really focusing more on some of the areas that I think are really interesting, right? Not just influencer and content development, all those things, but also into tracking, right? And he just launched uh, View Stats, that site for really understanding different YouTube channels and how they perform and things like that. And so for me, I'm like, okay, now it really aligns. I'd love to have some conversations and, and pick his brain.
1: That's awesome. So as we almost get to the end of the show, any last tips and advice for people who are just starting out in the field of influencer marketing, particularly?
0: I think influencer marketing is changing so quickly. You have to understand the brand and who you are, really, truly define your brand voice and leverage that in building out influencer. I think people were really tempted to do things that were not their brand. For a long time, I I saw that and really made to feel like this is the only way you could do influencer. You have to just do mega celebrity influencer. You have to only do paid content. You can only do performance-based. And that's not true, right? You can do all of it. You can test into all of it. And I definitely have and seen success from micro, micro influencers that build like UGC style videos for you to seeding celebrities like Taylor Swift and Selena Gomez, right? Make a difference in influencer marketing. So I think if you're just starting out, really truly understand who your customer is, how they are influenced in general, like what kind of advice, I mean, if you're selling cosmetics is very different from aftermarket car parts, right? So who are you getting advice from? Who do you think is influencing your customers? That's one thing. And then who is going to make an authentic piece of content that supports your brand voice? I've also seen a lot of brands get into trouble with trying to fit into content that isn't who they are authentically.
1: Yeah, I think authenticity is the key uh, to making good Progress on the influencer marketing side. You have to be authentic enough to build trust with the influencers' audience as well. And the key for the influencer also is to work with brands that seem more authentic to what their audience is looking for, right? And uh, I think that's spot on. And Rita, thank you so much for spending time with us. And there's a lot of nuggets of great information out there. Thanks a lot again. And uh, we hopefully be excited to have you back on the show again. Thank you, Rita. Great, thanks so much. Impulse, the influencer marketing podcast, is brought to you by Philo. Philo is the easiest way to get access to authenticated creator data from hundreds of different platforms. To know more about Philo, visit getphillow.com. That's get com. Also, make sure to search for Influencer Marketing Podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or any of your favorite podcast listening platforms. And don't forget to click subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Philo, thank you so much for listening.